This is a CBC Podcast. Flight 2018 for Pyeongchang, now boarding. She is an author, an athlete, and the engine room for the most successful bobsled team in history. But let's get the record straight. Heather Moyes never did retire from sport, despite a recent three-and-a-half-year hiatus. And while we're talking nevers, and this must place her alone among brakemen, she never lifted weights until she was pushing 28 years old. You'll be surprised when she tells us why. Two-time Olympic gold medalist Heather Moyes also never stops being a fascinating Olympian to sit down and chat with. I'm Kelly Vanderbeek, downhill ski racer turned broadcaster, host to CBC's Olympic Overnight, and this is PYC Podcast. So Heather, I hadn't seen you in a while, and I run into you at Pearson Airport, and you reminded me why athletes never walk. <laughs> We're racehorses. We're, we, it's, about, it's about conservation of energy for when we actually need it to perform. Describe that, though. I mean, because I know what you're talking about. I, I would always take the elevator. I would always take the escalator. And you're the same. Yeah, it's funny because when I'm when I wasn't training for the last three years, um, I would take the stairs and I would kind of try to avoid the escalators and and those sorts of things um, in order to get a bit more exercise. But when you're actually doing it as a job, every hundredth of a second counts, which means that you want to be exerting your energy only when it's kind of attributing to you perfecting what it is you're trying to be doing. It's it's crazy. It's uh, I know one of a coach used to say you're a workhorse or you're a racehorse, not a workhorse. So you don't want we don't want you plodding along slowly. We want you, you know, with mus- all muscles all cylinders firing and yeah, it's about explosive power, not not stairs. Not if you can <laughs> climb stairs. See I'm mommy fit now, so um, I'm all about the stairs. But you have two Olympic gold medals to your name and three years away from the sport of bobsleigh you are not coming back for another medal. That's what I'm finding interesting. Can you describe your motivation? I wouldn't say I'm not coming back for another medal, but that is not, that's not the driving force that's bringing me. Like, I'm not motivated at the idea of just coming back to win a medal at all costs. Like, but I do think it's really motivating and inspiring to see if I can help a rookie potentially win their first. Describe when you got the call and the mental um, dialogue you must have gone through asking you to come back. Yeah, it wasn't a call. It was more like an Instagram message. Actually, it was an Instagram message because I'd never met uh, Alicia before. And um, it was just this really... That's today, huh? Uh, It's an Instagram message. Yeah, it's an Instagram message. Um, So she sent me this thing and it was so long that you know how when you write so much, it breaks up and you've got a few different segments of writing anyway. So she kind of introduced herself to me, um, you know, said that she'd heard about rumors that I might be coming back, which were 100% rumors. People are just kind of throwing that idea around because I came back for Sochi. Um, And then she said that they had died down a bit and nobody was mentioning me anymore. And so she was wondering if there was, if it was true um, or if there was any chance that I would consider coming back. And her whole take on it was, wasn't so much just about the push. It was about the leadership component and the experience of having successfully performed in high pressure situations, which uh, they're really lacking on the team. I mean, besides Kaylee, uh, nobody else on the program has been to an Olympic Games before. So that experience is something that she thought. And to be honest, I was really impressed by that. It kind of changed the perspective of how I was looking at coming back to the sport. Um, It was no longer just about 
just go, go, go and try and just win again, you know, um, especially when I love what I'm doing right now for, for my job and for full-time business. And so um, to come back in this capacity, it still aligns with my business of empowering other people and, you know, um, helping other people achieve their goals and, and giving them that little boost at the beginning to make them, you know, think and help them realize what's really possible. And, and so this aligned with that. And so it was just a different way of thinking about it. But... <laughs> I must have, like, I think it took almost the entire month of August where we only spoke about it in hypotheticals because I couldn't wrap my head around the idea that I was, would actually be coming back. So everything was like, okay, well, if I did come back, like, if I were to come back, what would that look like? Like, I haven't trained for three and a half years, so how does that play out? And what about my business? And if I do put my business on hold, then what? everything was hypotheticals until finally I'm just call you know send a message to the coach and I said okay I booked my flight for next week and he says that until that moment he really had no idea if I was for sure coming back or not so it was um well yeah. I'm sitting here in my mind and I'm going August I'm counting the months it's the six months before an Olympic Games to yeah. mount a comeback to me that seems insurmountable but I mean you're Heather so it's it's <laughs> totally possible how are you making this happen um and, and is it do you feel like it is happening I did just start my training in September, which means I'm still on the upward, like on the upward trajectory of progression. So they kind of are taking that into consideration. So it's not as though they're comparing me to athletes who were training for three years straight to get to that point and should be at kind of their top marks going into going into an Olympic season. Um, so there is a little bit of wiggle room there, and also the experience that I bring fortunately carries a lot of weight. You know, knowing that. I mean, there are some very, very successfully talented people in any sport or business. And then when it comes to the big event, that big pitch to a new client, that big whatever, you know, something happens. So at least there's there's the knowledge that, that I've successfully managed those situations before. So I, things feel good in the most part. Just finally getting into the ice house and doing some pushing. So every time there's a progression in, in me kind of uh, taking things up a notch, it it's my body readjusting to a whole bunch of new things and new demands that I'm putting on it and new forces that are being put through my body. And yeah, so right now I'm feeling a bit more in a better headspace. You mentioned uh, that there's a lot of talented people out there. What makes a good brakeman? There a lot of people can sprint. So what's unique about you as a brakeman? Yeah, being a good brakeman doesn't mean just being a good sprinter. So um, being a good brakeman means you have kind of the ideal combination between strength and speed so uh, there are some really we've got some really really fast people who come out but sometimes someone who's got really really quick turnover can't necessarily exert the backward force needed in order to propel like a, a 400 pound sled so it's there's there's a difference and then we've got some sometimes we get some um, power lifters who come out and try out for the team and they can get the sled moving really really quickly at the beginning like fast they just kind of power clean it out there um, but then they don't quite have the top speed to keep up with it or to be able to push it as far as it needs to. So you don't necessarily have to be the fastest and you don't necessarily have to be the strongest, but it is that ideal combination that makes a good push at the beginning. But being a good brakeman is more than just the push. Um, I know that's what we're known for and that's, you know, all of that stuff, but 
I think a good brakeman knows, is able to give feedback to their drivers for what they feel going down the track. Um, and if you have a good relationship with your driver, then they can be receptive to that. And it can be more of a team effort in terms of figuring out even the drive on the way down. Um, the Just organization and taking care of the equipment, that's usually up to the brakeman to do. Um, timing, getting things set up. It's, um, yeah, there's a little bit more as a brakeman in terms of doing the things that are required to help put your driver's mind at ease so they can just be, you know, be able to just solely focus on, on the driving and the steers that they need to do to get down the track. You've worked with a lot of drivers over the years. Helen Upperton, mm-hmm. big name, CBC person now, and yeah. Kaylee Humphreys, obviously, who you won two Olympic gold medals with, now Alicia. Can you talk about the differences in the drivers you've worked with? Uh, well, everybody, I mean, anybody you work with in any kind of job, everyone's going to have a slightly different personality. And so it, those experiences are all very different. It's, it's um, if you want to give feedback to someone, it's the same as giving feedback to anyone. You have to figure out how they best receive that feedback. Um, some people are more open to just um, like very direct information and other people, you have to be a little more subtle and, and um, be cautious about how they might possibly take take your your information that you're trying to give them um and it's it's just different routines you know everybody's going to have their different routine in order to be the best that they can be on that day and so for me coming in and working with even a new pilot now fortunately i have the experience of working with different pilots and that doesn't mean that i necessarily know what these new drivers are going to be like but it does mean that i'm able to adapt and figure out kind of relatively quickly what will best work in terms of our relationship and how I can best help them in figuring out what they want. Sometimes it's psychological stuff, um, just mental prep stuff, putting someone in a good headspace so that they can just be at that, um, I guess that the optimal level of arousal in order to be able to execute what it is that they can completely execute really well. Um, but sometimes if they're if they're too many if they're too nervous or if they're then they're in a they're in a space where they're unable to execute things that they could have executed flawlessly like if they were just in that right mindset. So it's interesting, but it's uh, it's fun. It's a fun challenge. How do you take feedback? I I don't know. I guess <laughs> I would hope really well. I think that I'm pretty coachable. Um, I I do know that. I mean I don't know. It's funny thinking about that in bobsledding, but in team sports. I always responded really well to that the coach like especially in soccer and basketball and that sort of thing and rugby it would be the coach who was almost like excited like try something as opposed to you did that wrong like the negative feedback is not something that I ever responded to well and I it would for me it would be like okay if I'm not enjoying something I'm probably not going to do it anymore so if someone is like hey okay next time I want you to try this then that to me is like okay sure yeah I'll totally try that I've totally open to make anything anything better and improve on anything so it's yeah it, it's it's all about tone and delivery and so it's interesting yeah so when you quit after Sochi were you not having fun anymore no it was just for me I went back um to Sochi because um I had been asked to come back to the program to help to help and try and see if we could uh defend our gold medal from Vancouver and that was partly you know they they approached me and said there's not a lot of depth in the program so I actually went back specifically just for that to help them do that um, to see if we could do that Um, 
So it's not so much that I quit after Sochi. I, I, I mean, I don't even think I, I, I never officially retired from anything. So I just kind of am going about my, my business. And I usually just say, well, if I want, if I feel like going back and training to see if I can compete, I'll go back and see. If I don't, I just won't. Like I, I never really thought that there was a official retirement like announcement that ever needed to happen. So I just never did it. Um, so but after Sochi, I knew even going into Sochi, I knew that I wanted uh, to be a, like a full-time speaker and to travel around and empower other people and and see if I could create a business where I can help other people um, with their mindset, with the the way that they look at things, and helping them still see the possibilities that exist in whatever circumstance they're dealing with. And I feel like that is. Um, that is where my strength lies and especially with the background in occupational therapy it is about you know being faced with perceived obstacles and figuring out how to overcome them or get around them and do that stuff so it's for me whether it's helping someone like personally helping someone um, in their business figuring out how to how to get better in that or just in their life and achieving the goals that they want to achieve for themselves um, I knew that going into Sochi that that's what I wanted to do so it's been it, it was never really a yeah, it's not that I quit because I was no longer having fun. I just, I was just really excited about the next phase of my life. One next chapter as well. I mean, you've written a book, The Redefining Realistic. Oh, good play on words. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do now, Heather. <laughs> very good, very good. But you talk about owning your own story in that. I'm curious, what part of your story has been the hardest to own? Oh, Kelly, that's a hard question. Um owning your story means owning your choices your choices and the consequences that come with those choices and being able to look back on all of those choices that you made when pursuing your goal we're all masters of the excuses of our lives um, that we have used so often that we actually don't think they're excuses anymore we think they're legitimate we've made them truth we've made them truths we've legitimized them and so they're now reasons as opposed to excuses um, but for me like I for me, I didn't lift weights until I was 27. And I I kind of told myself various reasons as to why that was. And, you know, part of it was I would say, oh, I just want to be, I want to see what I can do just naturally with no, like, think about that for a second right now, like naturally. So, I mean, and this was in university. So at that point, anyway, it was just crazy. It was like, I'm going to just not lift weights. I would be given a weightlifting program, but all the coaches assumed that people would lift on their own. And I think they just assumed because I'm genetically muscular, I've been like that my whole life, I think they just assumed I was lifting anyway. So nobody questioned the fact that I, they ne it never even crossed their mind that I wasn't lifting weights. So I would just take the program home and put it swiftly in the recycling box, you know, and just, but for me it was a, it was an image it was a self-image thing and I think having grown up when I grew up um, in a time where CrossFit wasn't you know the big craze and and women like muscular women it wasn't a thing back then it was even even the gym it it wasn't a like those would have been quote-unquote the meatheads that would have been in there not even just businessmen or people who just want to stay fit and be healthy and because that wasn't the trend back then um, and so for me with the comments that I used to get all the time about indirectly about my body like oh my gosh how often do you go to the gym and how much do you lift and when I'd never gone before started making me very paranoid about what would I look like if I did go to the gym and so I got very self-conscious about 
about my build and I would wear pants all the time. I hated wearing shorts. Like I just, you, I became very, um, very self-conscious. And so it was a, I, I started making those excuses about, oh, well, I'm just going to see what I can do without lifting weights and naturally. And, you know, if I can't do it this way, then it would turn it into a job. You know, lifting weights would make it I wouldn't enjoy it anymore because it would be a it'd be working and instead of just going out and having fun. And there were little bits of truths in all those excuses. But really, when you kind of boils down to it, it was the fact that I was worried about what I would look like if I started lifting weights. And even now, that's still something that plays around in my brain. It's never going to go away. Like the things that kind of are embedded in your brain when you're younger, those, those are the hardest things to get rid of and to get past. Um, but now it's about um, what is my goal? And so it's not like I'm training every day for appearance. I'm training for performance. And there's a big difference. It's the same as eating. I'm not eating for appearance. I'm eating for performance. And so it's as long as you know that and know what your ultimate goal, goal is and keep that in mind, then the decisions you make along the way will be in alignment with, with that goal. And, and I think that's where the difference came in. How do you feel about your body now? <laughs> uh, depends on the day. I th- that's normal. I think that's a pretty normal, like, I think that is an answer that most people would say. I don't, I, I'd be hard pressed, I think, to meet someone who absolutely loves their body every single day. Um, there's some days that I just, that I, there's, there's, it's, I'm hard pressed to find something that I love. And there are other days where I'm like, you know what, this is body has gotten me to where I am. And I, I'm going to rock it in heels and go wherever I want. Like it's, it's different, but every day is completely different. Completely different is one thing you've done is mountaineering in Antarctica. <laughs> does that, how does that leave an impression on you? And tell us about it. I climbed that high, Mount Vincent, the highest mountain in Antarctica, and it was with a group. And we were, the whole purpose of it was to raise awareness for PTSD and to help raise money to help transition our Canadian war vets back into society once they finished their time on tours. And so we, along with seven soldiers and probably 15 or 16 other kind of part of the civilian team, um, we took off on this track. There were a few specialists as well. The doctor, he was also uh, military and, um, and there was a researcher as well and a photographer and that sort of thing. So there were probably, with counting the six tour guides, we were 30 or 31 people. We became so close on that trip that some of those veterans, like some of those soldiers, told their stories about what they're struggling through for the first time. I remember one of them where it was the first time he ever told his story and he was just, he felt like he was in a safe place. And so it's not the mountain that changed me. It was absolutely 100% the people who were on that trip that made the trip what it was. How does that redefine your perspective working within a team, working towards an Olympics? Well, like even just mountaineering, everything is about teamwork when it comes to that stuff. Sometimes it's knowing what... I think any kind of teamwork right now, whether you're building to the Olympics, whether you're sitting in a corporate office, whether you're, you know, climbing a mountain, sometimes it's not only knowing. I mean, we all talk, everyone talks about self-awareness and you need to know what, what it is. You have to figure out what it is that you need to win. But when you're in a team, it's also your responsibility, if you're a leader, to figure out not only what you need to win and kind of respect that, but also know what your teammate needs to win or what your team as a whole needs to win. You've been such a successful brakeman. You're obviously good at knowing what your teammate needs to be in that space. What put Kaylee Humphreys in that space? Um, 
from my perspective, I know, especially for Vancouver, when Kaylee was a really young driver, um, one thing that they were working on was um, being a lot lighter on the in, in the driving, not as heavy-handed with the steers. Um, so one of the coaches used to tell her to drive more like a Ferrari than a tractor. You know, it became a, a, a joke and stuff. And so I, um, I mean, there are just different things. Like, and for her to be able to drive a little bit lighter also means bringing your stress levels down and your worry down and your all that stuff, anxiety down before actually stepping on the line to do a race. So for me, it was a matter of trying to take away the pressures of what it was that we were actually about to do. And so I think, well, we used to dance in the parking lot. We would, I would put over my little earbud and we'd listen to this. We had this theme song and every time it would come on, I'd put an earbud and as soon as she just kind of dropped her shoulder and stuff, it would be like, okay, she's in a good headspace. What was the theme song? Um, What is it? I can't remember the name of it. Tonight's going to be a good night. Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight's going to be a good night. So we were like, you know, regardless of what happens, tonight's going to be a good night. We're going to be fine. It's going to be good. Um, I used to sometimes sing to her (laughs) in the dressing, in the start house. And by singing, I mean changing the words to songs to make it funnier, but also because I don't know the word, the lyrics to most songs. So come on, give us an example. Oh my gosh, um, take me! It was take me for a ride. So she was a big country person, and take me for a ride on my big green tractor. Um, and then I said we could go slow but I'd prefer to go faster (laughs) I don't even know and it would just be like two lines of a song and she would just look at me and just shake her head like you're being an idiot but it cut the tension in that start house right and it's it's all about kind of putting yourself in a good space at the at the games I I also said we could leave right before the last run I said okay we can go now and she was like what are you talking about Um, and it really just came down to me being like we don't have to stay like if we're feeling so much pressure we can leave. We don't have to do this last run. We don't have to win an Olympic gold medal. We want to. And so by rephrasing it, I don't, we don't need to push a start record. I want a start record. We don't need to push a track record. We want to push a track record. Like if you reframe things and remind yourselves that regardless of the thousands of people who are screaming outside, we don't have to do this. We we're here doing this because we actually genuinely want to be doing this. It's a choice. It's a choice. All those stories make me just see you guys as such an amazing twosome. How are you feeling and how is that dynamic playing out? That she has expressed, you know, the fact that she would welcome me back in her sled. That is, I can't take that as any way except as a compliment. I mean, that's a huge compliment. And I, I, and I appreciate, I really appreciate that compliment and it means a lot. Um, but right now in this point in my life, I'm, I am, I am empowered by empowering someone else. It's about investing in the next generation. It's, I wouldn't have come back just for the idea of going back to three-peat because I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but for me, I do think the message needs to go out there that we need to invest in, in that next generation, in the interns, in the people who are going to be kind of taking over. I mean, these are the, the, the future athletes of Canada, like the ones, well, not even future athletes, they're here now. Like they're in the season, these will be the, these will be the people to watch. And so. But don't you think a third gold medal, a three-peat, that the potential for that might empower and motivate more people on the bigger scale? Um, I think it would empower the same people who were empowered by our gold in Vancouver and our gold in Sochi. Fair enough. Um, and I think that 
a different kind of message needs to be heard. And it's not just about messages. It's about what is what is motivating me. And yeah, why do you want to do it? Yeah, I get that. And to come out of so-called retirement, which I apparently was in, um, but to, to come back and to put my body through what it's going right now after having another hip surgery since Sochi and not having trained for three and a half years and coming back at 39 to try and do this. One, I do love an epic challenge. Of course I do. But two, I've never really done things the normal way. And I've always and I always tend to to make decisions and make choices that that do make people think a little bit. And for me to come back and to be intentionally choosing not the be- not the the most ideal or the best option, putting me in the best position to potentially win a medal again, I think it makes people think. You mentioned another hip surgery. How is the hip doing? <clears throat> well, depends on the day um today uh, today it's actually feeling pretty good my hip flexors are a little bit fired up because I've only recently and by recently mean today and Friday um are doing quick turnover so it's my body is still progressing through all the different kind of phases of getting my body back to putting crazy amounts of force through my hip um it has been causing some problems in the sense of just that it's, it's really jammed. It kind of gets compressed up into the socket because I didn't rehab that hip like an athlete. I rehabbed it like a, like a normal person to go pain-free grocery shopping, not to put crazy amounts of force through it. As long as we can keep things in alignment and, and make sure that I'm not compensating and, and developing other issues, um, I think if we can keep it under control, then, then things will be really good and I'll, I'll still be... At, from what they say, they still think I'll be as explosive and powerful as I was before. You talk a lot about your book and what you do about perspective. What is your perspective on health at this point in your life? For me, I, I think it's a it's a balance. I think it's a balance between your mental health, and I don't even mean that medically, but just your headspace, your your mental headspace, um, and and your physical health. But I also think that they play on each other. I think any kind of extremes are unhealthy and I'm not an extreme person when it comes to diet, even when it comes to training, when it comes to everything. I think that that middle ground is is the healthiest place to be. How are you able to be so successful on a world stage in the middle ground? (laughs) Not many can do that. It's intentionality, a lot of it. Um, So many people will train and try and control everything about what's happening. and yet they're missing the main point of, of what's going on. So almost like micromanaging every tiny little aspect, thinking that all these things are going to make the difference, whereas they're not focusing on the, the main middle part, the chunk of it, the meat of it, that actually is going to make the difference. Where's the difference for you? It's making sure that my body is can handle the loads. So making sure that my joints can handle the loads. Um, and it's also just getting my muscles reminded reminding my muscles um how to fire again like just making sure for me it's about activation um and making sure that all the muscles that i need to you know be explosive are all activated and ready to fire and and then that will help me carry the load and then that will hopefully give me that explosive speed so for yourself like when you think olympics what's the first thing that comes to your mind I did not grow up dreaming about going to the Olympics, um, partly because I was in PEI and nobody around me was training for the games and Olympians to me were TV people. You know, they weren't everyday normal people like I considered myself to be. So when I think about the Olympics, I think about how maybe miss, 
I think about the misperception sometimes of the general public on how Olympians are just, are really just totally normal people. Um, yeah, I think that's because when I grew up, though, that's, that's, that was the, that was the difference. They were TV people. And so now having been through it and having done it, because it, it's me, like I did that, it's more like, okay, well, <laughs> it's no big deal. It's not, no big deal. I mean, it's, it's, it comes down to choices too, right? Like there are so many choices. People stop pursuing something because they don't even believe that it's a possibility, which is why like my book is called Redefining Realistic. Like why don't we take off those preconceived notions of what we actually think is possible and test ourselves, like embrace those, embrace the challenges and test ourselves and, and, and fall in love more with the challenge of just, yeah, this might be a crazy goal, but I sure as hell want to see how close I can get. So what's next for Heather Moyes? Um, after, after the season, I'll be going back, you know, to my, my speaking business. Um, I'll be probably doing the book signings and like a bit of a book tour after the season's done, because even though it's being released now, I'm going to hold off until after the season's over for me to kind of um, drain my energy, like put any energy in that direction. Um, but I'm also starting a youth, a youth program that's uh, the first program will be in, um, in June. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I've also been with, from a lot of demand of, of different people, I'm also starting a women's retreat. So I'm really excited about all these things. And all of it is around human potential. And all of it is about making people realize what they're truly capable of and giving them the space, um, space to figure that out. So I'm really, really excited about that. So if you had to give yourself one bit of advice to your younger self, what would it be? <laughs> um... Gosh, Kelly, I don't know. What would I, what would I go to bed earlier? Maybe, maybe it would be go to bed earlier. I don't know. That's a big question. Go to bed, go to bed earlier. <laughs> That's a pretty sound advice for everybody. <laughs> Very much planted in reality, Heather. I like I it. I know. It's like, like what is some legitimate information, advice I could give myself right now or my, for me now or my younger self would be go to bed earlier. It's like wear sunscreen. <laughs> wear sunscreen yeah well thank you so much for this chat it was enlightening thanks kelly i suppose it's official heather moyes is back ken wolf is the executive producer of pyc podcast david giddens is the producer andrew morales is our mixer and editor and i am kelly vanderbeek tell your neighbors we're on itunes especially if you live in high-rise because you have lots of neighbors thanks for listening For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.